Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of Faith in Focus on Voice of Islam Radio. Here at Faith in Focus, we examine different aspects of the world, society, even just existence in general, under the lens of Islam. His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, wrote in his book, Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, and I quote, when we explored the history of evolution in search of the causative factors which gave birth to the sensory organs as life evolved, we can safely conclude that right from the beginning they have always been the sense of loss and gain. We identify the journey of evolution to be the long procession of some obscure realization of gains and losses which gradually evolved the sensory organs to register the presence of pleasure and pain, comfort and suffering. End quote. Thus we see that the question of suffering is actually built into our very being. Where we are made to gain, we are also made to lose, and as such we will feel both the joys of our wins as well as the sorrows of our losses. Just because we know that the ups and downs of life are only natural, and that's just the way that life is, it doesn't really help us to make it through the tough times. But do we always need to know for a root cause of our sorrow? Must we always give in to doubts and mysteries? Do we always need to rationalize it, categorize it? Or is it simply enough to experience it and allow oneself to experience the full range of human emotions? Personally, I'm very fascinated by John Keats's idea of negative capability. Keats was an English poet of the Romantic era, born in 1795, and the poet only lived to the age of 25 and tragically believed himself to be a failure of a poet. The epitaph on his gravestone reads, Here lies one whose name was writ in water. As was typical of the Romantic poets, Keats was fascinated by the relationship between nature and human emotion. He was inspired by the tales of medieval England and, of course, William Shakespeare, which is how we arrived to the question of negative capability. In a letter to his brother, Keats passingly mentions the idea, and I quote, And once it struck me what quality went to form a man of achievement, especially in literature, and which Shakespeare possessed so enormously. I mean negative capability. That is, when a man is capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. Though he never mentioned it again, he most certainly brought to light a fascinating question. Are we better off to just leave such emotion as emotion, instead of trying to pursue a why? His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, further explains, and I quote, We understand from the Holy Quran that God did not create suffering as an independent entity in its own right, but only as an indispensable counterpart of pleasure and comfort. The absence of happiness is suffering, which is like its shadow, just as dark as the shadow cast by the absence of light. If there is life, there has to be death. Both are situated at the extreme poles of the same plane, with innumerable grades and shades in between. As we move away from death, we gradually move towards a state of life, which is happiness. As we move away from life, we move away with a sense of loss and sorrow towards death. This is the key to understanding the struggle for existence, which in turn leads to a constant improvement in the quality of life and helps it achieve the ultimate goal of evolution. As evidenced here in His Holiness's explanation, according to Islam, suffering is certainly an element of God's design, and therefore something that we may never fully understand. In order to understand it, we must understand it as a part of God's creation, which of course we will never be able to fully explain solely relying on rationality. The interplay of revelation and rationality is a central theme of this book and certainly highly recommended to all of our listeners. 
Today, I am joined by my two esteemed guests, Tahira Chaudhary and Kainat Hanif. Tahira is a solicitor and mum of four sons, and Kainat is a medical student and holds a keen interest in literature and the intricate relationship between human medicine and nature. Assalamu alaikum and Jazakallah for joining me on today's discussion for the ups and downs of life. Thanks for having us. No, it's my pleasure. Um, We'll be pondering over the usefulness of rationality in such a state, how to deal with sorrow, how sorrow has been experienced across religious history, and finally, how we interact with it in in culture. So to turn to the discussion, and Tahira, if I may come to you first with this question, we mentioned the idea of negative capability. Do you think it's always possible to spend moments of sadness and sorrow in appreciation of the range of human emotions instead of chasing a reason for their sorrow? Um, well, I think it's quite a, a hard, it's a difficult question. But um, if we understand, you know, kind of negative capability, um, if we kind of dwell on its meaning and we understand it to be kind of the capacity to, I don't know, understand beauty uh, when it causes uncertainty or understand happiness, you know, when we're facing sorrow, then I don't think that this is something which is, in my opinion, you know, it's not always possible because we're human. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after all, that comes with a combination of many imperfections and perfections. Um, it certainly comes with wisdom. I think it could possibly, it could be more possible, especially kind of as knowledge of life, you know, per people, circumstances, etc. You know, that all increases. Mm-hmm. Um I think one thing that we do know is that without knowledge of sorrow, you know, as you were saying, those wonderful quotes that you've just shared with us um, from Revelation and Rationality and um, also from Keats, you know, we couldn't appreciate happiness um, without kind of knowledge of sorrow. You know, one's necessary for the other. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the way that human emotion has been created. Um, one is necessary for the other. Um, and we all know that Her Late Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, you know, she recently passed away. And there's this famous statement by her, which I've heard so many times over the news in the last, uh, you know, few mm-hmm. days, that grief is the price that we pay for love. And I think that's a really relevant example for us. And it's similar to saying, you know, it takes absence to appreciate presence, noise to appreciate quiet as well. So what I would say, though, is that as you gain in, so what I think I'm trying to say is that in, as you gain in wisdom or experience, I think you begin to realize that actually, you know, we're living in a world where we're increasingly chasing the perfect life, you know, and everyone seems to be um, almost kind of in a race to display the perfection of their life, you know, despite what reality actually might be. Mm-hmm. So I think if we pause to reflect, you know, we can learn a lot from the irony of this, you know, all our feelings have a function and we may be conditioning ourselves to avoid negative emotion. But that's not necessarily beneficial, you know, despite what we've kind of led to believe. Because sometimes, I think I'm sure you'll, you'll both agree that sometimes crying relieves us, you know, we, mm-hmm. we can actually be soothed by it. Definitely. And it actually helps to relieve the kind of overwhelm of what you might be feeling. Um, and one thing that comes to my mind is I read a really fantastic article in the Guardian newspaper. And it was fantastic because they were saying that actually learning to feel your sad emotions could actually be the key to a happier year. Um, and various research was actually presented, um, including, for example, that those who cry actually feel fewer negative feelings. Um, and they also said that accepting sadness actually helps to improve your attention to detail. It increases um, kind of perseverance. It promotes generosity. And actually, it makes us feel more grateful for what we actually do have. Um, so the conclusion seemed to be what it meant to me was that to suppress sorrow or negative thoughts can actually backfire. And actually what it can do is it can actually end up exasperating your emotions. And actually sometimes the way we are as humans means that we need to sit with our sadness. Mm-hmm. And I think we are becoming 
I'm more aware of that now, that, you know, we should actually allow ourselves to understand that sorrow is what we're meant to feel after loss, you know, no matter how hard it is. And actually to try and condition ourselves to be averse to negative emotions or negative capabilities, you uh, you put it, actually, it can be really harmful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we we can understand from this research from from this these facts is that it's not always about chasing a reason for our sorrows um it's also not always possible to spend moments of sadness in appreciation of human emotion as well (laughs) you know and i think so i think to me personally i think the simple answer then is gratitude and i think moderation and i think both of these are hugely important in many faiths across the world and i think you know the answer is there um and Islam certainly lays great emphasis on both these values. These are values, but actually great strategies to assist us in life. And actually, they can really help us in managing emotion, um, whether we're trying to understand our sorrow or we're trying to chase a reason for the sorrow or we're trying to uh, appreciate human emotion. Um, I think mod- moderation and gratitude really they yeah. can help us. And rather than moving on to place our sole focus on the next thing we want, you know, it's beneficial to think about, you know, what we've got today, you know, what, is what we prayed for yesterday, mm-hmm. um, you know, to pause and appreciate that what we do have. Um, I think that's the key. And appreciation of moderation too, persevering to achieve it um, can also bring so much balance to your life. Um, and I think a lot of us, we're living life in the fast lane. Uh, it's about the illusion that you want to create about the illusion of life that you that people want to create, you know, um, the illusion of the life that you're living. And ironically, um, about what others think about the way that you are living your mm. life, even though you, you're not. No. <laughs> um, and I think we should actually, we should, there's a lot to be said for, we should be living life for ourselves, you know, to please God, to be content ourselves. Um, and that peace should be our primary aim because then we can impart it to others as well. And certainly that's what Islam teaches us. And I think it's really, you know, the blissful, the most blissful and the best way. Um, and I think doing it may mean that we can achieve the best balance of emotion possible without inclining either way. Yeah. The best balance. No, I think I think you really summed it up well in those two words, gratitude and moderation. And there's a lot of wisdom in just those two words. So, Jazakallah um, Tahira. Kainat, now if I may turn to you. Um, so one very key period of the Holy Prophet, and may the peace and blessing of Allah be upon him's life is known as the year of sorrow, or also known as the year of grief. Um, and it was during this year that his beloved wife, Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, returned to her Lord, as did his beloved uncle, Abu Talib. So I'd like to ask you um, the significance of this year. What does it say about the nature of grief and sorrow, given that it did not even escape the holiest man in existence? Um, I think what we learn from this difficult time what the Holy Prophet went through is that grief and sorrow is inevitable. We know that there are various sources and different kinds of suffering as well. There's the physical grief, such as pain and somatic disease. There's also the psychological, such as hardships, mental disorders or illnesses. And we also may experience spiritual grief, so lack lack of a meaningful life or a moral dilemmas that we face. And bad experiences is something that some people might describe it as. Grief is different for everyone, I'm sure we will agree. Mm. Research has suggested that actually some people go through stages or cycles of grief. And this grief cycle as a whole is sometimes even referred to as mourning and describes how people adapt following the loss. According to mine, 
Grief can be associated with denial, anger, depression, bargaining, or even acceptance. So it's important to note actually that not everyone will go through all of these stages or in a particular order. So the year of sorrow that you've mentioned, Ifrit, took place around 619 AD. Hazrat Khadija was the first wife and a great supporter of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing be on him. Abu Talib, of course, his uncle supported the Prophet, peace be on him, and protected him. So this is actually indeed a difficult time for the Holy Prophet, peace be on him. But let us not forget the background also that the Holy Prophet came from. He was raised as an orphan, lost his parents at a very early age, and, you know, the city was merciless to him. Mm -hmm. So we have seen in history of all of the religions that actually many prophets and their followers have gone through hardships. No prophet is dearer to Allah than the Holy Prophet, peace be on him. And he and his followers also went through these trials and tribulations. But they did not complain. They remained steadfast in their faith. Grief and sorrow are concepts that have been mentioned in ancient scriptures as well. For example, the Old Testament tells us the story of King David, who actually describes his own state as, and I quote, There is no soundness in my flesh, no health in my bones because of my sin. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. I groan because of tumult of my heart. End quote. So we need to actually ask ourselves why. Why are these prophets and great people of Allah going through this? What is the purpose that serves behind all of this periods of pain? And why even the holiest and the most perfect man on earth, why is he succumb to this grief and sorrow? As Daira mentioned earlier, the answer is simple, steadfastness. In verse 201, Chapter 3 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states, and I quote, O ye who believe, be steadfast and strive to excel in steadfastness, and be on your guard, and fear Allah that you may prosper. And let's look at into this a little bit further. Actually, the Oxford Dictionary states that the steadfastness is defined as the quality of not changing in one's attitudes or aims. And Allah has promised us that steadfastness will be rewarded. Throughout the Holy Quran, Allah has repeatedly asked his believers to remain steadfast. It is human nature that we go through a prolonged period of trials, that we get tired, or we start waiting for the end to come, or we start questioning ourselves, for example, you know, when will the enemy be defeated? Allah reassures his believers that he is with those that remain patient and steadfast. Mm -hmm. So to achieve this closeness to Allah, we must be vigilant in our prayers. We need to remain steadfast. And the Quran has repeatedly highlighted the, this importance to his believers. Jazakallah mm. Kainat for quite, um, not quite, a very um, inspiring um, perspective to, to this question. Um, Dayara, coming back to you now. Um, so in the Holy Quran, um, we did mention earlier that there are many verses teaching believers to act with patience. And of course, Gainath has also just mentioned mm. some. And indeed, many trials and tribulations the prophets faced 
that well, they face them with awe-inspiring patience. Absolutely. Um, so what does it mean to express patience in the 21st century? Are the problems that we face today much different from the problems that were faced thousands of years ago? Do you know what? Um, I've, I've thought a lot about patience over the years. And <laughs> actually, probably, <laughs> maybe that's, you know, saying a bit too much about my age, maybe. I don't know. No, not at all. Um, you know, what is it? What is patience? You know, in the past, I remember I've thought I've been patient when I'm waiting for someone. And I've endlessly moaned and complained as I've waited. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, you know, I've been patient. But actually, you know, I've now I've come to a place where I think that's not patience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's not. So what is patience? Well, I think we need to know, kind of define yeah, absolutely. it, is what I'm trying to do. And I think patience is not when you're willing to tolerate delay, but you're made to wait anyway. And you're in a state of anguish. You're angry, you're annoyed. Patience is actually really beautiful. It's not anguish. It's not anger. Patience is actually so beautiful, I've learnt from experience, that actually it can create other human values. Um, for example, you know, we, when we wait and we're truly patient, it creates confidence in us. Yeah. Mm. It creates decisiveness. It gives you time to reflect. And actually, ultimately, it leads to wisdom. Sometimes we tell, you know, we tell our children to be quiet and we're being impatient as we tell them to be patient. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, sadly... It, I think a sad reality is that a lot of us develop patience much later in life. And actually, that's something to reflect over. You know, as I've just said, we're elders scolding youngsters. Be patient. And how often do we explain to them when they're calm? So not in the middle of an argument, but in a moment of peace. How how often do we actually explain to children what is patience, how to practice it, Mm. how to be patient, strategies to achieve it? I certainly needed those when I was younger. And to know and learn what we can gain from it. So we want it. Mm-hmm. And then also about what we can give to those around us by practicing it. Because, you know, being patient with loved ones, if we practice patience with loved ones, you can give them the space to grow, to yeah. learn, flourish. And we can do the same for ourselves as well. I think that's something that I've learned recently, allowing yeah. other people that space as well. Absolutely. Um, and then being patient with our children, we're giving them that time to grow. I think that's really beautiful. As you mentioned, you know, patience is mentioned many times in the Holy Quran. And it's uh, a vital, it's an important concept in the Holy Quran. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he presented the most beautiful examples also of tolerance. You know, there's no instance ever recorded of him ever responding with disrespect or anger. Absolutely. And, you know, with his example, he taught us really that forbearance is the way. And reading about his life, we can learn about the unfailing courtesy which he showed others. Mm. And the reason why I mention this is because I think that in answer to your question, if it, that are our problems different? You know, can we practice patience in the same way? I think you know, kind of the exact nature of our problems may differ and the world certainly has changed and the triggers may vary. But in essence, I think if we go down to the very crux of what you're asking, our emotions are the same. Yeah. We're still humans. And so that means that patience has not changed despite what we might want to think. It's the same. It's still beautiful, but we have to understand it. And then we really have to work quite hard to practice it, teach it to our children, share it, enjoy it, feel the pay, the peace of it. You know, the peace that it creates. And then also, like I said, you know, the other values that I think we can impart to ourselves and also those, those around us. So I think, in essence, true patience is to wait in peace, just yeah. like the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, taught us. Definitely. And I also, uh, I really like what you said kind of about teaching children as, as well as ourselves their strategies in moments of peace, not when you're telling them off already. Absolutely. Because then they're going to associate patience with being told off or mm. with difficult times. But actually, it's if you teach it in the idea of peace... Mm. it's something that 
is going to always connote to something good rather and than... it's just the irony of being impatient and yeah. pitching patience. <laughs> yeah, and you just... I find that perplexing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and Kainat, if I come... Can, can I come to you with the same question? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Daira. It's very interesting and it's an important question and we can even see from history and from the past, as Daira mentioned, that, you know, many ordeals have come and gone which allowed the believers to display the steadfastness. And it's hard to see at first, but the problems and trials that we face are quite similar to the ones that were faced thousands of years ago. Mm. So, for example, religious discrimination. We can see that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has faced persecution and martyrdom, just like the Holy Prophet, peace be on him, and his followers were persecuted as well. Um, so this is a pain associated with religious persecution and the restrictions across Asia and Africa that the Ahmadiyya community is facing at this moment in time. Lives have been lost, people are living in fear of being caught, practicing and believing in what they actually accept to be the truth. So though the current age is one with you know many expectations and hope, it is also very deepened with contradictions, uncertainties and some emerging risks. For example, globalization has created this huge platform which has shifted some of the power of influence to the ordinary people. And instant communication and sharing of information means that people have the capabilities of gangering attention of many in the matter of moments. So this is a huge you know, capability, but it also comes with great responsibility. Definitely. This has caused many difficulties, such as cyberbullying, hacking, or even health problems. You know, just by giving wrong advice over the internet. I mean, how many times have we used Dr. Google to diagnose ourselves? Well, I and, think as a medical student, I think you're probably coming into yeah, that phase. I think, <laughs> I've heard that doctors get highly irritated by us it's Googling true. Dr. Google. <laughs> and it, puts Dr. A lot, Google. It's a, it puts a lot more pressure on the health staff as well, and mm. just not, not only on the patient themselves. Absolutely. So we can see that leaders of the world are also pursuing their own agendas in order to obtain territories. We can see that in light of the news these days. Um, such has been also the case for generations before us. Um, a range of national governments have seemingly not given up their um, perceived rights to wage war or at least to prepare for the same. There's a vast arms industry that underpins today's system of sovereign states. And the arms race, you know, again are accelerating. We can see that in the news. The world economy is running on incredible into incredible depths, threatening a return of the financial chaos of decades earlier, but with the government's room for manoeuvring significantly reduced. And also in the scientific community, the major areas of urgent concerns have been you know, climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution. While environmental challenges represent the outer boundaries of a sustainable planetary society, there are also a number of inner social boundaries below which no just or equitable society with adequate wealth or resources should descend with poverty as the most central issue. So with all of this turmoil, pressure and stabilities, it's quite difficult to be able to navigate one's emotions and feelings. 
It's so hard to keep focus and be able to keep priorities when there are unbelievable amounts of sorrow. Mm. Every day, you know, the news shows us nothing but how the earth around has just, you know, embarked one more tragedy than the day prior. Just this morning, the news revealed that the world is in a worse state than yesterday. Taxes are being cut to benefit the rich, leaving those disadvantaged even more vulnerable. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine is at a significant point with a referendum and Russia trying to increase its armed forces to the Ukraine grounds. So we are surrounded with war and conflict, with economic and mental breakdown, which has followed a worldwide pandemic. So it's needless to say, I think we all are living in that time of great difficulty. There's certainly a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And the promised Messiah, peace be on him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, explained how one can deal with this, especially not just world calamities, but also the pain that is, you know, inevitable in nature. Mm. And he said, and I quote, the distinguishing sign of a believer is that he should not only be one who shows patience, but that he should go further and cheerfully accept the situation, even during times of hardship. His pleasure and God's pleasure should become as one. This state is the best. End quote. And this is what Daira alluded to earlier. Patient is not only purely waiting for goodness to come, but actually we need to take a step further and refrain from complaining or tackling calamities, actually with a smile. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, has given us guidance for when we are experiencing difficulties. And I quote, this is an important piece of advice, and it should be remembered that if a person is facing difficulties, he should be fearful of the possibility of an even greater hardship befalling him. End quote. And the next sentence strikes me personally, and I quote, This world is a place of trials, and to live in it in a state of oblivion is not a good thing. End quote. Such a powerful quote. Very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it almost comes as a warning. So in the beginning, it is light in appearance and a person does not consider it to be hardship. But then it turns into, you know, the most distressing ordeal. So as Muslims, we should believe that trials and tribulations are therefore the achievement of a higher state. All trials will come to an end. Because remember, this world is only temporary. Lives of the prophets of God bear witness to the fact that patience is actually always rewarded. Regular prayers and focus on the fact that Allah is the most gracious and the merciful. He provides trial so that steadfastness can be observed. In response to the intense suffering, the Holy Prophet, peace be on him, humbled himself before God and taught us that the proper response to great suffering is humility and steadfastness. And this is the way which we can try and adopt also. I mean, we can only try uh, and come whatever difficulty may face us in this century or the centuries to come, to always remember Allah is the gracious and he's ever merciful. Indeed. Jazakallah, Kainat. Um, we'll take a short break now. Um, stay tuned. We will be back ever so shortly. I'm Ifit Mirza with my guest Stahira and Kainat and you're listening to Faith in Focus. 
The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, said, Be generous to the one who is miserly to you, and be forgiving to the one who abuses you. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to our discussion on the ups and downs of life and the different theories offered on the value of these moments in life. I'm joined by Tahira Chaudhry and Gaina Tanif. Before I come to the next question, I would like to read a short extract from the life and character of the Seal of the Prophets, Peace and Blessings of Allah be upon him, volume 1. A most excellent biography of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, written by Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed, M.A. And I quote, A few days after the demise of Abu Talib, Hazrat Khatija, may Allah be pleased with her, also passed away. Khatija, may Allah be pleased with her, has stood by the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, in times of extreme grief and anguish. She loved the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, and the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, loved her immensely. For this reason, naturally, the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, was exceedingly grieved at her demise. After her demise, whenever she was mentioned, the eyes of the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, would become suffused in tears, and he would praise her often. He would say that Khatija, may Allah be pleased with her, was among the best of the women in her era. Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, narrates that the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, would praise Hazrat Khatija, um, May Allah be pleased with her so often that I would begin to feel jealous of her and I would say, You mentioned Khatija on whom be peace as if she was the only lady who was ever born in this world. The Holy Prophet on whom be peace would respond, O Aisha, she possessed great qualities and God gave me children from her as well. So we know that Hazrat Khatija was a great source of emotional support for the Holy Prophet. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm. She was the first person to accept Islam. And to give courage to the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him when he was given the glad tidings of prophethood. So Tahira, going on from this, I would like to ask you, what can we learn about the nature of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, his relationship with Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, and how they dealt with these difficult times together? I mean, your quote makes me quite feel quite emotionally overwhelmed, actually. It, it is an overwhelming quote. Absolutely, and... Um, I mean, you've given such a beautiful example. I, f- I feel like I almost don't know how to answer your question, but um, if I try to think about it, I think that, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his wife, Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her. Actually, they set the most beautiful example of believing in one another. Um, she was the first person to accept Islam, as you've just said, Ifit. And actually, the best example of true companionship. Mm-hmm. I think we can only try to achieve that. Absolutely. Um you know, even we think if we think about in this present world, when you hear about somebody who's lost a husband or a wife, and the overwhelm that a person would feel, um, you know, and if you personally you know somebody, you know, then you realise the great grief that comes with that. Um, and to be patient in these times, you know, and how you can try to achieve that kind of relationship. I think it comes down to presence. It's about family. Um, and others knowing that you're there for them. 
I think sometimes you don't need to say anything, you know, but your presence can speak volumes. Mm -hmm. You know, you can impart strength and security to loved ones. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, today the focus is so much on what we want, you know, what we want for ourselves. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that we can learn from their relationship uh, is that what we can learn from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it's a shift our thinking to the focus on thinking about other people. And I think that their, uh, their relationship was a great example of this. You know, we should be generous. We should have no ill feelings. Yeah. We should be truly open, genuine, open-hearted, you know. Um, and then in doing this for others, the irony is that actually you're not only be supporting others and fostering good relationships, but actually I think you, once you start doing it for others, you realize um, for your husband, for your wife, for loved ones, actually that goodness comes back. Um, and they gave the best example of that. You know, actually yeah. you start to nourish yourself as well. And that good returns to us in some way. And I think that, um, I think that's the answer to your question. If, yes. I think if you understand this, if we were just to understand this one kernel of wisdom, which we, you know, see and start practicing the practical example that the Prophet Muhammad, yeah. peace be upon him, gave us. I mean, his example. That's the answer. I think we have your your answer. Yeah, I know. I definitely agree with you. It's just it's such a beautiful example, and you're right. We so can only to, try to aspire to it. Um, mm. you know. But I think we think about it in small pocketfuls, yeah. small pockets of goodness, a, a moment small, at a time, kind yeah, of. Yeah, a moment at a time, and small examples. They, those examples, you know, kind of just given us so many examples of things that happened thousands of years ago, and they're still happening today. So, and that human emotion, we're still people. We're, we're humans with the same emotions. Mm. So we can adopt those in those small yeah. practical examples yeah. in the traditions and sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in the small things that we know about his life and how he actually lived it. Yeah. We can adopt them. No, absolutely. And, yeah, you know, and those human emotions are still the same. And mm -hmm. also those, those dynamics are still the same. You know, you still have those bonds between a husband and wife. You still have the absolutely. bonds between, you know, a man and his children or women and their children. Mm. So there's no reason we can't. Absolutely. Look to them and think, actually, do you know what? That's something I want to implement in my day-to-day. -day. Absolutely. Um, and not necessarily in this big grand scheme. And I've found in my per personal life that whenever I've adopted an example of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in my own simple way, of course, um, I say that very humbly, it, you get that peace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's like you say, it comes back to you. It comes back to you. You, yeah. you just get that peace. So, Jazakallah for sharing that um, so comprehensively. Um, before I shift the conversation, I would like to present our moment for thought segment. In his very important work, Poetics, Aristotle wrote about the nature of drama, as this was the predominant form of literature in ancient Greece. He particularly examined the ideas of comedy and tragedy and held the view that tragedy was the higher and nobler art form. Whilst comedy was crass, tragedy evoked fear and pity through plot and characterization. It more closely resembled reality, and as such was the greater of the two. He stated that tragedy is an imitation of an action that is serious, complete, and of a certain magnitude, through pity and fear affecting the proper purgation, that is catharsis, of these emotions. That is, that through tragedy we are able to build human empathy and build virtue in society. The Muslim polymath Ibn Rushd, Latinized as Averroes, wrote a very influential commentary on this using his framework of Arabic poetry. Daniel Javich, an academic writes in his essay in the Cambridge Companion to Literary Theory that Averroes' interpretation of tragedy as the art of praise, aiming to insert virtue, that is, and of comedy as the art of blame, aiming to castigate vice, transformed Aristotle's poetic into one that conformed more easily with existing notions about the rhetorical methods and moral aims of poetry. 
Aristotle's theory has played a huge role in all of literature from across the world. It, above all, created a space for us to value tragedy. Perhaps, as John Keats would say, to value uncertainties, mysteries, and doubts. The place tragedy has come to hold in cultural production is not simply to show the harsh realities of life where happy endings aren't always guaranteed, but they offer us a way to reflect and progress as a society. Indeed, as His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, stated, this is the key to understanding the struggle for existence, which in turn leads to constant improvement in the quality of life and helps it to achieve the ultimate goal of evolution. So now I'd like to shift the conversation slightly and like to pose a few questions to uh, to you about how we perceive and interact with different emotions in broader culture. Mm. Um, so Tahira, just sticking with you for a minute, um, when engaging with uh, cultural media whilst growing up, we often become used to the idea of happy endings. And it's slowly as we grow older that we begin to encounter sad endings, even in fiction, not necessarily real life. But actually, some people prefer sad endings. And um, how do you feel that an ending to a book should be? Do you know what? If I always want a happy ending. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like... It wouldn't be truthful for me to say anything else to you. No, that's I love a happy ending. Um, even when I'm reading a book or I'm watching a show, I want a happy ending, let alone for my own life. <laughs> okay, I want a happy ending. Um, but I do think our perception of what that happy ending is varies. You know, it varies from person to person. So actually, you know, one person's happy ending may be another person's absolute no-no. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think it really does depend on, you know, kind of what you want from life, what your expectations were or are, you know, what you want to achieve. Um, it's a very I think your question is a really personal one to the one yeah. that's uh, answering it because my pers- my happy ending which might just be just to be content and peaceful that might be somebody else's sad ending yeah they don't want just peace at the end they wanted more than that yeah um, I don't know if some people actually prefer sad endings or it's you know so basically it's what we may think about them as well personally I think that a true happy ending is to be like I just said just to have peace in your heart yeah. and soul and actually, that's what Islam teaches us too. Um, and I wholeheartedly actually agree with this teaching because I think people that have got peace in their hearts, so they might not have the luxuries of life, so they might not seem to be having that concept of what others may see uh, of a ha- to be a happy ending, um, which I actually think is a, it's just an illusion in the world. You know, it's something that we've just created ourselves, mm-hmm. but they are actually at peace. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, um, so, in fact, you know, it's about uh, they might, a person might have something, I don't know, for example, that they can't buy or they can't get in any other way other than to strive for it. And then to strive for it, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to make af- efforts for, for it, you know, for a multitude of goodnesses. And, you know, you've got, I think our lives are, I think, examples in sacrifice, actually. Um, we make effort for goodness, for human values, for our most, the majority of our lives, you know. It's a struggle. Yeah. I think if we... If we really go down to the basics, life is a struggle. No, it's not easy. You know, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. It's a struggle to improve yourself. It's a struggle to battle with wrong and sin. So I think the irony is to achieve that peace um, and that true happy ending um, when you're battling sadness or di- difficulty for much of your life, it's hard. But I think um, what we need to do is, if you understand the true nature of what you're doing and why you're doing it, then I think that even that effort and that struggle um, can give you peace and joy along the way. And for me, that's the crux of it. Yeah. So even in that struggle, you can find peace, you can find joy, you can find that happy ending. 
those glimmers. Yeah. Because you, you feel like you've got a purpose at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's justified that suffering. So really, I think that in that way, you're gaining heaven, not just in the afterlife, but heaven in this life mm. as well. So that doesn't mean, again, that you're never going to have any have any sadness. It's just that, that you have heaven in this life and in the next, happiness in this life and the next, because you've got... So really, you do have a happy ending. Yeah. Um, you've got struggles, but because you've got that bit of peace, you've got that hope in your heart, you know, you, you stay with it. Yeah. Um, the Promised Messiah, on, her, on whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community in Islam, you know, he taught us this in obviously on another scale and absolutely uh, immense this book is absolutely amazing the philosophy of the teachings of islam um and i would really encourage everyone all our listeners to read it and i think you need to read it many times to understand the wisdom in it fortunately there's not enough time for me to go into all of that detail now but i think if you understand the philosophy then you understand you know such a pearl of wisdom that you anyone that reads that book will be overwhelmed it takes a few reads of the book as i said but every time you read the book you learn something else and that is the nature of philosophy, that with wisdom and life experience, the depths of what you understand um, about life, you know, it deepens. But again, you know, I, I hope I've made sense of my answer. Cause no, I know absolutely. Um, and yes, I do want a happy ending, but I'm not naive. And I think I realise that, you know, um, and I think it's important to realise that sadness is the other side of happiness. And one just will not exist without the no. other. <laughs> uh, so actually, that kind of also applies to engaging with culture so studies have shown that reading or watching tragedies can actually help us be a bit happier um, because they help us to appreciate what we've got uh, which is also something that you mentioned we're able to consider our own situations in a larger context um, so Gainard um, is this conclusion uh, to the study something that you'd uh, have expected or is it rather surprising for you um, I found it to be very very interesting um the study that Knobloch and Westwick actually conducted, and they mentioned that actually negative emotions, like sadness, make us think more critically about our own situation, and that in turn we are able to think more closely over over you know our own relationships that we are currently in, and I think the study suggests that we get positive reinforcements from tragedy almost like a reassurance, um, so that we are able to feel more grateful in our current state. Yeah. And if you both may have noticed, social media not only goes with this narrative of finding pleasure in others' pain, but also on the contrary, we may experience feelings of imposter syndrome over time. Sometimes these social media platforms are designed to display a lifestyle of, you know, unattainable, not natural ways of living. The sad case of Molly Russell, who took her own life in 2017. Mm. Um, courts believe that Instagram and the content which was exposed to her may have influenced her act. And it's such a sad, sad reality to think about. Definitely. So this constant exposure to such content can lead our minds to think that, you know, we're not capable of such happiness. Mm or this type of happiness can actually become harmful to us. And at this point, I would like to say that to our listeners, actually. And I understand we hear this a lot, but it's very important to maybe hear this one more time. Comparing ourselves to the content of social media will affect our minds. Living in this real world, acknowledging the people we are actually with, and the physical things that we have in front of us, 
will allow us to avoid feelings of low self-esteem. And that's why Allah has repeatedly mentioned in the Holy Quran, like in chapter 2, verse 153, and I quote, And be thankful to me and do not be ungrateful to me. End of quote. Just coming to my last question now for both of you. Uh, Diana, if I may come to you first. When expressing periods of intense sorrow, it's quite easy to compare these feelings with loneliness and to feel as if though you are the only person to ever have felt what you are currently feeling, which of course does make you feel even worse. Mm. Uh, how can one escape that feeling? Do you know what? I think it links directly with what Guy Nutt was just talking about. It's such a deep question. Um, and I think the thing is, to understand how not to be this way, again, you have to look at Islam. We believe as Muslims that you know um, Islam is a perfect religion. And it couldn't be that if all its teachings didn't sit perfectly together. And we know that in perfection, there is no space for contradiction. And that's why there's no contradiction in Islam. And I'd invite everyone, you know, uh, all our listeners to go and embark on that study of Islam to see there is no contradiction. It's such a complete and perfect way of life that actually the more a Muslim aspires to live in accordance with its values, the more beautiful life becomes. Yes, like we talked about earlier, you get lots, you do have struggles, but ask any practicing Muslim and I'm sure they'll agree. But if you start to pick and choose parts of your faith, which you're willing to practice or willing to make efforts for mm. and forego others, then that perfection and that peace um, is broken Yeah, and you can't achieve it. Definitely. There is no human today that is perfect. And as Muslims, you know, we've said before earlier today that, you know, we believe that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, you know, he was the perfect example. So we look to the teachings in the Holy Quran and then the practical example of the Prophet himself. His sayings, traditions, how to live our life, on how to live our life. So though we can't be perfect, I think the answer is in the effort to keep trying. Um, it can help us to share in the peace that the Islamic, um, in the peace that the Islamic way of life, you know, kind of grants a Muslim. So it's not to say, like I just said, that it will be totally free of sorrow, but uh, that is something that is just not possible in this world. You know, we can be sorrowful or grieving, like we've said, um, and be at peace too. And you've asked how to get away from the feeling of uh, feeling during periods of intense sorrow. You know that you're not the only you're not the only one, and you know, kind of compounding your feeling of loneliness. And there is a saying of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, which I think is really relevant. And he said that inferior inferiority is a highly fatal feeling. Yeah. And I think somebody might say on the same, you know, kind of on the surface, what's that got to do with your question? And I actually think it's got a deep link, because when you've got feelings of inferiority, that's when you're going to practice displeasure at somebody else's joy and is rooted in subconscious feelings or deep-rooted traumas i think from life experiences even from times when you lacked understanding and you're a child um so you're more likely to to feel such sorrow or be prone to it uh, you know at the end of the day we're imperfect beings and our parents you know they were imperfect too they had their own struggles we're vulnerable to circumstances situations growing up you know so that actually there's a multitude of things that can affect us negatively you know, so naturally we might become more vulnerable. But what I think we should focus on is looking to what the solution can be. And I think when you aspire to practice other values, like we've talked about gratitude and focus on what we have rather than what you don't, like we've talked all about, about all of this and other human and moral values, kindness, honesty, humility, then actually we can work to a large extent to protect ourselves from feeling um, like we're the only ones. Islam actually teaches us the truth of life the truth of the struggle that life is to achieve true happiness and peace. 
that we have to go through that struggle to get that true happiness. It doesn't teach us an illusion of happiness. It doesn't mm. teach us, Islam doesn't teach us a pretense. No. It teaches us that the key is that we've got to make the continuous effort. Yeah. And you um, see that even with just the fact that our greeting is peace be upon you. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're, I think the answer to your question is in that when you're holding on to this hope that God has granted us, you're holding on to the rope of your, uh, that our faith gives us, um, despite struggle, despite hardship, then I think then we'll, people can, will be able to see, we can see that we can get through it. We don't have to escape. Um, all we have to do is just arm ourselves with knowledge, hope, and just keep trying. You know, impart the love that we want for ourselves. It will come back our way. It might take time. And it, you know, the reality is that it is hard. It can be hard. Um, but I think that, uh, that inner p- peace will be such that you'll, you then get to a stage that you get such inner peace that you'll be unable to articulate it to anyone because your soul will be at rest. Mm. And that is what Islam teaches us. That is the state that Islam te- guides us towards to get to a point where despite life struggles, our souls are at rest. Yeah. So then it doesn't matter which sorrow comes your way. Whatever happens, you might have tears in your eyes, but actually in the depths of your heart, that reliance which you now have on no person, no being, just on God, just on Allah alone, it gives such strength to a person that no sorrow will ever be able to detract from it and ever be able to make you feel alone. You know, otherwise in life, you might be sitting in a room full of people, but you feel really lonely. That's happened to me many times. I'm sure it's happened to you. But when you've got God, you're never alone. Ultimately, I think that brings a person such insight. You know, your focus, our focus, uh, will shift from what you want, what you face, to what others' needs are, what others yeah. need. I think I've given you a really long answer, but actually what we need to do is just learn, I think. Um, open our hearts and our eyes, search for knowledge with a clean heart, and that's where the answer is. Jazakallah, Tahira. Kainat, if I may come to you uh, with the I same question. I just have to say that was beautiful. <laughs> it, it truly was. It truly was. Um, I think sometimes when you... You're absolutely correct, Tahira. We need to have knowledge. We need to be able to you know, open our hearts and go forward with a clean heart. And sometimes when you lose somebody really close to us, it can be quite hard. And, um, you know, we are left with this hole in our life that it can be quite tough to get to that point. And you might even think that you're never going to get those joys back of your life, which you were previously enjoying. Mm. So again, you know, what you've just said, we are not alone. Well, you are not alone. And it's a natural feeling to feel these cycles of grief and sorrow, especially when somebody has passed away. So I lost my father last year to cancer. And, you know, you can't fill that hole that um, a father may have left in your life. But one thing that actually helped me personally was to visit his grave regularly and pray for him. Just like you said, open your heart. Um and do something for others. So praying for him helped me personally get through this. Um, The Holy Prophet, peace be on him, once actually said that there are three things which may contribute to benefit a person after death. And that links back to what you've said, do something for others. The first thing is charity given during the life which continues to help others. The second is knowledge from which people continue to benefit. And the third is a righteous child who prays for him or her. So the last point actually struck to me. So in order to fulfill that point, 
I first had to try my best to become a better person. And this brings me back to the point mentioned before the break. It is in the remembrance of Allah that one actually finds peace. So for both myself and my father, building that relationship with Allah is really important. And Allah is with us, no matter what. The question remains whether we remain loyal to him during these times of difficulty and calamities. Absolutely. At this point, it's really important to mention that if low mood persists for a very long time and is associated for, with feeling weak or tired or not finding any pleasure in the things you once did, please try to see your doctor or seek advice. And I know the waiting lists are long, but it is worth seeing a professional who can help you deal with complex feelings of sorrow, loneliness or grief. You do not have to deal with all of this by yourself. And you might find it easier or in fact faster if you contact some charities that provide free services to help you. For example, Mind, Good Samaritans and the Student Room. Loneliness can also set in after giving birth. And for that, Momsnet, for example, can be a useful networking site where you can find and share your experiences with someone who's gone through something similar. And of course, feeling lonely from time to time is a normal thing. And it happens to many of us. In these instances, it's important to remember that we may feel lonely at this time, but we are not alone, like Tara mentioned earlier. Every time, we may wish to develop coping mechanisms which help us to avoid feeling this repeatedly. We can try and identify what is making us feel this way. And there are many things we can do to boost our morale in order to combat this feeling. If it is low self-esteem, we can start keeping a self-gratitude journal. This keeps a record of all positive, rewarding and pleasant experiences we can look back to every night to increase joy. Positive self-talk on a daily basis, as well as keeping company around us, that is sympathetic, encouraging and motivating. All of this can help us um, in our overall mood. The most practical thing we can actually do for our mental health is to try and identify what brings us joy and what activities brings us peace so that we can participate in them more often. Um, if we constantly have this feeling of loneliness with no positive change and none of these suggestions help, again, try to seek professional help since these can be symptoms of clinical depression. In this world, it is easy to get distracted and feel lost due to its many worldly attractions. Everyone is becoming more distant in this digital world and most relationships are not like they used to be. One relationship, however, has not changed and will not change and that is the one with Allah. Allah is our wali, our protecting friend. So we should not feel that we are alone. Allah is always with us. Jazakallah for such a beautiful and candid answer from, from the both of you and sharing those personal experiences. Thank you so much for inviting us. No, it's absolutely my pleasure. So uh, it would perhaps be overly optimistic, unimaginably so even, to hope to go through life without ever experiencing some sort of disappointment, heartache or difficulty. But such is life. Indeed, to echo His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed's words, and I quote, but without the taste of suffering or an awareness of what it means, the feeling of relief and comfort would also vanish. Without an encounter with pain and misery, most certainly joy and happiness would lose all meaning. Indeed, the very existence of life would lose purpose. 
and the steps of evolution would stop dead in their tracks. Indeed, it is the ups and downs of life which make life worth living. Allah is indeed the compassionate. He did not allow heartache to enter this world without also teaching us how to cope with it. Much like Keats believed, there is not always a need to rationalize our negative emotions. They can just be experienced and eventually let go without ask, always asking why. Similarly, we could use this time to, instead of wondering why me, to remember our Lord. In chapter 12, verse 87 of the Holy Quran, we learn of Prophet Jacob, on whom be peace, his anguish for his lost son, the Prophet Joseph, on whom be peace. And his most beautiful words are a timeless example to all. The Holy Quran narrates. He replied, I only complain of my sorrow and my grief to Allah, and I know from Allah that which you know not. I believe there is absolutely no better way to draw our episode than an end on, on this verse. Thank you for listening. Jazakallah to my two guests, Tahira Jodri and Kainat Hanif, and Kutsi Ahmed for the report. You've been listening to Faith in Focus, produced by Mrs. Shrimin Bhatt. Assalamu alaikum.